0: This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. Email Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com to book your vacation today. Again, visit FairyGodmotherTravel.com and tell them Jeff and George sent you. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently-born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And hello, everyone! Glad you can join us for
1: another episode. So, we have a very quick thing we want to talk about, even though it's going to be a very one-sided conversation because we can't hear you back right away. Um... (laughs) First of all, there are some changes that are going to be coming to CommuniCore Weekly very soon. Nothing you'll notice on the surface, but we'll get to that when it happens. But one of the things that we... (laughs) I thought you were kicking me off as co-host. George is no longer going to be joining us starting this episode. Uh, Sorry, George. This
0: episode right (laughs) now.
1: Yeah, that was me hitting the mute button on George's uh, microphone. Um, But seriously, George is off the show. No. Um, So... We, you know, recently we won that, that most engaging fan experience award yeah. uh, from the Dizzies. And, you know, we've been thinking about doing this for a while. You may have noticed it in the past. We've been having some cadets come on and for, for segments. And we like cadets coming on for segments. So mm-hmm. we want more cadets to come on for segments.
0: Yes, we do. <laughs> I was waiting to see how many more times you're going to say for segments. I was trying <laughs> to see how I could like phrase it. <laughs> But yeah, we you know, we would love to have you guys email us with some of your ideas for segments or if you're an expert in some particular aspect of Disney history or something about Walt Disney World or Disneyland, we'd love to have you come on and share your knowledge with the other cadets and either do a segment with us or Help us write something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there, there's actually a handful of people that have contacted us already that I'm I'm working with now to kind of develop these ideas. But we really want to get you guys involved too because you guys are just as knowledgeable about stuff as we are. Uh, sometimes more so in a lot of areas. So we would love to hear from you. So please, not that, not that we could call to the carpet often. No, no, we don't. Well, no. occasionally. But George, did not I kick you off the show like two minutes ago? What are you? What are you still doing here? <laughs> I am guy. gonna. Jeez. I'm going to take my musical brother home with me then. Uh, oh, wait. No, you're back. George. Welcome, right. Everybody, welcome George back to the show, Communicore <laughs> Weekly. We missed you, man. We missed you so much.
0: Anyway, so you were talking about engaging people? Yeah, engaging or?
1: people. So <laughs> it, please email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. Get in co- contact with us. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, maybe we can get you on the show
0: soon. Like an upcoming Disney history segment?
1: I think that's a, just not this upcoming one like right now that you're going to hear oh, okay. in like 10 seconds.
0: Yeah, that'd be weird. It's time for Disney History. You History!
1: Know, much like when we talked about the World Cruise in episode 132 a couple episodes back, uh, one of the aspects of Walt Disney World Resort in its early days is that it was the vacation kingdom of the world, essentially. You know, people go there today to spend an entire vacation within the four theme parks, but back in the day, the entire resort was constructed as a multitude of different experiences, uh, you know, with the Magic Kingdom itself as a centerpiece. And sure, you can still do some pretty amazing things outside of the theme parks today, but very few people actually take the time
0: to explore what the rest of the resort has to offer. Yeah, so if you ever went through old issues of Vacation Land, you probably noticed that uh, among the articles about the Magic Kingdom, the real bulk of the issues they were about everything else you could do at Walt Disney World. And there's a good reason for this. Because for the first 10 years of the resort's existence, the Magic Kingdom ran very short hours. operating hours. Unless it was a holiday season or the summer rush, uh, the park opened at uh, 10 a.m. and closed at 6 p.m. most evenings. And that's an eight hour operating day for the centerpiece of Walt Disney World for most of the year. So how did Disney nerds even survive that little time in the park? And that's that's barely enough time
1: to explore Animal Kingdom on a good day. So I mean, that's like nothing. (laughs) It's like nothing. (laughs) So back on the topic, what did people do when the parks closed? You know, even if you weren't staying on the property at the time, many people taking day trips were likely to take advantage of some of the other offerings uh, at the resort. You know, maybe hop on one of the monorails to a hotel for dinner or watch the uh, electrical uh, water pageant. You know, sure, the park closed at 6, but uh, the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village was open to at least 10 p.m., which is way past most of our bedtimes anyway. <laughs> and every hotel had uh, one bar or nightclub that was open until 2 a.m., and with live entertainment to boot, so it was crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess with the parks closed and no Instagram. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? You can't be clicking on hashtags to find other pictures of, of the parks no, no. at that time. Not at all. So, okay. So Walt Disney World was once a place designed to make you take advantage of the offerings outside of the gates of the Magic Kingdom. Uh, You know, in a lot of ways, it, it forced most guests out of the theme park and into Walt Disney World's other areas. Disney was coming up with ingenious nighttime entertainment offerings such as the Moonlight Cruises. And it was a time when the campfire sing-along on the beaches of Fort Wilderness was as important a part of your day as riding Space Mountain or Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, all of this setup actually leads us into
1: what we actually want to talk about, and that is Captain Cook's Hideaway. Now, it really wasn't much to it at all. It was actually a single room, it was dimly lit, it was located on the ground floor of the Polynesian Village, uh, the Great Ceremonial House, and it was across from the South Seas Dining Room, which was a, a simple buffet. And these two establishments actually occupied kind of a small side ha- hallway on the ground level where the, uh, the boutique shop is currently located. And, you know, in the early days before the various gift shops and the eateries were modified to open up into the big atrium area, um, the Grand Ceremonial House mostly resembled, you know, an open box with two levels and some fairly featureless uh, bamboo walls. It wasn't nearly as interestingly themed as it is today.
0: Or hopefully will be. Or will be. Yeah, will be. So Captain Cook's was the very original cast member hangout long before the Adventurers Club or the Big Bamboo was a glimmer in anyone's eye. Uh, Disney described their creation in more romantic terms in a 1973 vacation land, and I quote, for guests desirous for a dark rendezvous and the strains of a haunting guitar, Captain Cook's Hideaway provides both, as well as an outside patio romantically bathed in soft candlelight. Very romantic. <laughs> so. There
1: are actually very few photos of the inside of this place in existence which probably indicates that it really wasn't much to look at. Um, so Saltwater Water Express. Uh, they were the resident musical duo of the establishment and they actually they began their sets at 9pm and they usually went to about 2.30am except for Monday. And they were either seated in a corner uh, romantically lit with the soft purple light or they were playing out amongst the people in, in the little restaurant area. And the real attraction, of course, was the cozy getaway of the bustle of what was already one of uh, America's busiest vacation destinations, and
0: of course with a strong, potent tropical cocktail. <laughs> the namesake of the establishment, Captain James Cook, was killed by Hawaiians after trying to take the King of Hawaii hostage in 1779. While no one was killed by Polynesian Village resort staff, as far as we know, the name does lend a bit more to the Polynesian connection of the hotel itself. Of interest is the fact that Saltwater Express actually helped Disney in getting some roadway improvements because they, meaning Disney, were too cheap to do it themselves. So at the time, Disney was
1: trying to get SR535, uh, one of the major roads leading to the resort, you know, modernized to handle the large amount of employee traffic currently traveling on it. And this was a problem they basically created for themselves, since the road itself predated Walt Disney World by many, many years. But Disney was unwilling to contribute the funds needed for adding shoulders and more lanes and so on, but they
0: were willing to launch a massive PR campaign about it. Which we know they are so good at doing. They're so good at it. So good at it. Okay, so this campaign included a song by Captain Cook's resident musical duo, Saltwater Express, called Can You Arrive Alive on 535. The song was submitted to local radio stations and even plastered on billboards. Disney got their road widened and the government paid for it. Not the first time, nor the last, that Disney would get the government to pay for something. But the Saltwater Express story continues. Just as a sidebar, as far as
1: Disney nerds are concerned, no copy of that song actually still exists. So we don't know what it sounds like. So we can just pretend we know what it sounds like. We we can have the Communicare with the orchestra make a new version and we'll just say that's it.
0: I have a really scary version of Staying Alive Uh, You know, but I'm not going to go anywhere with it, so... Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) So, back to the
1: Saltwater Express. In March 1975, the duo moved to uh, the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village and opened a lounge attached to the village restaurant and called it The Chummery. What a terrible name (laughs) for a lounge, guys. In fact, it was so terrible that Disney was actually advertising the duo's return to the Polynesian Village within
0: a few weeks because it just failed miserably out there. (laughs) The Chummery. Okay, so Bob Christopher and Gary Stratton, who made up the duo, went under contract renegotiation in 1976, at which point they began appearing under the new name of Stratton and Christopher. Not as catchy. No, not as catchy at all. Uh, In-house references to the group and their popularity begin to decline from that point onward. And by the late 1970s, they vanished from Captain Cook's hideaway altogether.
1: Now, as you know, in later years, the Polynesian Village, it became more of a family-centered enterprise and uh, Captain Hook's hideaway went with it. But the name was lent to the new food court, which still has the same name today. But the hideaway still fascinates Disney nerds like us, and maybe not what it was itself but what it actually represented for its time period. Because there's really very little like it at Walt Disney World today. You know, a place meant specifically for adults and this kind of cool little private nightlife uh, area. So, also, we had to get a hat tip to uh, Fox for uh, Passport to Dreams uh, for her chronicling of this forgotten place and the musical duo, because without her, I mean, all this stuff would have been lost to time a very long time ago.
0: Yeah, we wouldn't know half as much. So, if you have any uh, thoughts or comments about the Saltwater Express or the original location of Captain Cook's Hideaway, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424 785 GOAT. That's 424 785
1: 4628. He's a nerd. he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So, listen up to the words from his
0: ah! It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Disney Declassified, Tales of Disney, Scandals, Sex, Accidents, and Deaths by Aaron Goldberg. Okay, so when you scan the literature of Disney-related books, which I do a lot, you run into a lot of general history, you know, travel books about planning your vacation, and books like featuring social discourse, like, you know, how did Disney, the films, influence America or society or culture. You know, one area that's not been covered much. Looks at the legal and uh, illegal things that have taken place at Disney parks within the Disney company. So, Disney Declassified by Aaron Goldberg. He tries his best to tackle some of the darker and more unethical moments in Disney history, not necessarily by Disney, but you know, centered around the company in some way. Uh, as a caveat, Disney Declassified looks at some pretty negative things, you know, like people trying to rip off the company and lawsuits that are going from the company and to the company, basically. And it can it can sort of change how you view Disney a little bit. Uh, This is definitely a book in which you'll need to remove your rose colored mouse ears. But I'm always wearing mouse ears. (laughs) Did you grow up wearing mouse ears? I did.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, just the topic alone right off the bat, it kind of lends itself uh, to compare with uh, Leonard Kinsey's The Dark Side of Disney. Mm-hmm. And both books do look at the darker side of the Magic Kingdom. Um, however, while Kinsey's book is really more of an alternative travel guide or uh, guidebook, Disney the Classified uh, is more like stating the facts of things that aren't going to be everyone's cup of tea, kind of like George said. And, you know, the book is divided into these sections. Um, you know, they're looking at stuff like accessibility lawsuits, You know, mature encounters, money-stealing schemes, and you know, just general debauchery that happens in the Disney parks.
0: Yeah, but you know, if we would have written the book, there would have been a whole chapter on shenanigans. I love shenanigans. Yeah, it's a restaurant with crazy stuff on the walls. Crazy stuff on the wall, anyway. So okay, so you know, Disney Declassified, like you said, it—it's not to be confused with Leonard Kinsey's awesome Dark Side of Disney. Not that Disney Declassified isn't good, but it reminded me more of. Some of the sections of David Koenig's books, like *Reality Land* and *Mouse Tales*, in, in which he'll 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 take a section in the middle of the book and he'll talk about injuries and deaths that have occurred at Disney parks. You know, Koenig is a journalist, so he does a very much a black and white reporting, never really passing judgment. And uh, you know, it, it, while it's not a big section in any of David Koenig's works, it's kind of weird still to read so much negative about the parks and the companies. And I want to make sure that everyone that's listening understands that Aaron doesn't have an agenda with the company at all. He loves Disney as much as we do, but he simply wants to point out a lot of the devious, the underhanded and potentially dangerous things that have happened. You know, by and large, it's really a look at how some very unsettling things have happened and how, you know, the companies responded.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's basically just documenting the facts and the stories behind these cases. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, it still was a bit jarring to read one case after the other, but it was it's pretty much what you sign up for when you when you pick up the book. There really weren't any that really shocked me all that much, to be honest, but a few yeah. did make me kind of like go, oh, uh, uh, well, that's insane. <laughs> um, but you know, but since many of these were were legal matters, the complete resolution isn't entirely known to us just because they're not out there and open for the public.
0: Yeah, you know, it's when you when I read the book, there was a, to me, the worst section, and not any fault of Aaron's at all. He's a good writer; he handles the material very well. It's just the fact that the section was focused on, you know, how people did really unethical, bad things at the park. A uh, one woman had a baby. And left the baby in the toilet, and you know there've been cases of kidnapping, and not like actually always little kids, but sometimes cast members or adult guests. Uh, the section that was on people that were trying to bilk Disney out of money really disturbed me, simply because other people were often hurt uh, in some of these escapades that they went on. You know, you know. Still, neither one of us is really trying to turn you away from the book at all, and and. Yeah, I'm glad that Aaron's document a lot of these cases because it's it's a side of Disney that we rarely see.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, if there's one complaint I have about the book, it's that, like I just mentioned before, um, a lot of these uh, are legal matters. So we don't get, you know, the full story. Some of the stories seem a little partially completed before he moves on to the next one. But again, that's just because he can't get the full story because, uh, it, you know, they're in some kind of legal binding oh, they, contract. They may have they a do. settlement they can't talk yeah, about. Yeah, they can't talk something. about it. Yeah, You know, mm-hmm. it's, some of the stories have a beginning in the middle of them, and then it's on to the next story for that reason. Um, and, you know, despite the book being divided into sections about the different types of cases, some of it was a bit disjointed, jumping from one story mm-hmm. to the next, but I think that just has to do with the fact with we just don't know the endings of some of them. So, again, not really at the fault of Aaron. It was just a
0: little jarring to me. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that Aaron tackled a book like this. you know it's just sort of so we have a permanent record a lot of, uh, of a lot of these atrocities and other things that have happened. Um, it, it's just so we've got a book that we can re- refer to. He does include a bibliography of his sources, but they're just listed alphabetically and I was just flipping through my copy of the book to check on it as well. They're, they're divided by chapter. so you can see the articles he referenced by chapter but they're not really tied to any specific articles or, or parts of the book. So it kind of makes it hard to research if you want to find out a little bit more about a specific you know, uh, legal battle or something in an injury that happened at one of the parks. Um, you know, this is a book of course that I would purchase for my collection, not just because I'm a completist, but uh, it's interesting to me. You know, I thought it was kind of heavy to read so many negative things all at once about the company. So it might be something that you just enjoy, you know, dipping in and out occasionally reading a couple pages or chapter here, putting it away and coming back. Cause I think you'll like it. You'll look at the parks differently yeah. after you read this book. I
1: mean, it's definitely interesting to have it all compiled in one place and, you know, it may not be for everyone, but it is an interesting record of the bad things that have happened at Disney and to the guests and because of the guests over the years. So it's definitely interesting to read it all at once.
0: Yeah, so um, if you're interested in it, sort of like uh, as it says in the uh, subtitle, "Tales of Disney Scandals, Sex, Accidents, and Deaths," then definitely pick up this book. Aaron did a good job with it; it's well written. Uh, I would like to have seen better documentation of his sources, but they're all listed. Um, but still, yeah, if you think you might enjoy it, pick it up. This one, uh, this week's book, is "Disney Declassified" by Aaron Goldberg. we liked what we didn't like in the booze 60 second review okay so this week's 60 second review is on the recent blu-ray release of captain america winter soldier and i know we both talked about this many episodes ago when we saw it in the theater but like pretty much every marvel movie that's been released on blu-ray you need to go out and buy this. Yeah. What more do we need
1: to say? This movie is fantastic. And <laughs> I know we say this in almost single every single one of these reviews, but here's the entire review, guys. Scarlett Johansson. Okay.
0: <laughs> review over. Everybody go purchase the disc. Yes, we, we watched it simply for Scarlett Johansson, and that was about it. And, you know, it, it the the I thought about it after watching it on Blu-ray. People refer to it as a buddy film. I think you actually called it that during our review. Yeah, between, I thought it was a buddy uh, film. Yeah, The Black Widow and Captain America. And I didn't realize how much of a Black Widow film it actually was. I, mean, was I still exciting, hope we
1: get, but, uh, you know, a different, uh, like a standalone Black Widow oh, film. Oh, sure. But, like, sure. this is probably the most mature out of all the Marvel films so far, because it was definitely yeah. a political thriller um with you know marvel action thrown in but you know again we already talked about the film we really really liked it let's talk about the extras <laughs> really quickly
0: yeah so first off really 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 disappointed that's three reallys which wasn't enough there wasn't a marvel one shot on this disc that is the huge downside um, of this disc. unless we missed it somewhere it unless wasn't it's Easter hidden egg, but i i played around with the remote yelled at it screamed at the tv Made my 10-year-old cry. Um, We didn't see the one (laughs) shot anyway, which should have been, you know, right there on the top. Need something else. But, you know, that being said, uh, I thought it had a few really interesting, the the on-the-front-line and inside look at Captain America's battlegrounds, even though it was only 10 minutes, was really cool because it showed you how they – Constructed a lot of the major fight scenes.
1: I didn't realize a lot of the major fight scenes were all like you know, the big thing nowadays is everything is digital, you can do whatever yeah. you want in digital. But h- how much work and effort they actually put into practically uh, doing these fight scenes, these big action pieces, and you know, how they shot it too. They shot it all hand- basically, the entire movie was shot handheld, which kind of blew my mind from a oh, yeah. it filmmaker looks so good. perspective. Um, yeah. It was it was really really cool to see the dedication and the amount of work they put into it, and it, and it shows. I mean, the sequences mm-hmm. are amazing when you see them on screen, but it's it's cool to get that behind the scenes peek at it. And you know, they talk about that stuff a little bit more on the director commentary as well, which I did listen to, and Ooh. I love that stuff. I mean, they they got some, there's some cool little tidbits out there. Um, what they they kind of want how um, his story they want it to go next. I mean, it, it was really really cool oh, to, wow. to hear that stuff.
0: Yeah, I didn't have enough time to listen to that, so uh, there was another one that was a short with Anthony Mackie, um, who plays the Falcon, and it was good. It was just basically how he was just yelling, cut the check every once in a while, but you you got to see a good look at him, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, I think, in the Marvel Universe. He's a great character, more than a sidekick. You know, he could, he could become a, a full member of the Avengers team.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. I think so. Um, and you
0: know, they had some deleted and extended scenes.
1: Yeah, they didn't really add anything yeah. more to the film overall. Um, the one I but, really wanted to see was Black Widow reveals her past. Yeah, that was good, but, but it wasn't... There wasn't yeah. anything to it, so... I'm sure yeah. those are stories where they'll explore in the future. Yeah, um, I hope so. Of course,
0: the gag reel is always hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, there were some good scenes in the gag reel. A lot of mess ups during a lot yes, of the uh, yes, the the more tense moments. But um, it was the interesting the,
1: the the notebook one where um yeah. Not, not Nicholas Sparks' notebook, but Captain America's notebook, how what he wrote in it, um, it changed it for every territory in the world, and it was just cool how they determined what was going into his notebook for the things that he had to check out, you know, to yeah. catch up to the 21st century. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: That was neat. And I, and I think for me, one of the coolest facts, which they never really stated, but as you watch the gag reels and some of the extended scenes, when they showed the clipboard, the working title of the film was Captain America Freezer Burn, which
1: is hilarious to me. That is
0: so funny. Before that they decided start. the final
1: title that they were calling it Freezer Burn in, in production. Yeah. That's great, which
0: which was worth it as well. So I guess, you know, besides missing the Marvel one shot and not having a lot of bonus features, it's an awesome film. It looks good. It sounds good. I.
1: It's a Marvel movie, guys. I mean, yeah, come on. Thumbs up. I I would say this is a
0: definite buy. Oh, definitely. You need to get this one. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't, hey look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat!
1: <laughs> when you're riding the Disneyland Railroad, just before you get to Toontown Station, you'll pass a bit of Frontierland, specifically the backside of Big Thunder Ranch, which is like the ninth or 10th wonder of the world at this point. Um, So when you're passing it, there's actually a a doghouse there with the name Indiana painted in white above it. And of course, this is a reference to the line in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Henry Jones, as played by Sean Connery, remarks that they called the dog Indiana, thus explaining where the name Indiana Jones really came from. But why... is this little tidbit in Frontierland. Well, before the Indiana Jones adventure was made, there was supposed to be a young Indiana Jones stunt show based on the television series, and it was going to be located where Big Thunder Ranch is right now. Now, the doghouse pays tribute not only to the classic line from the the last good indie film, but also the stunt show
0: that never was. Hmm. So this is just another example of how the cadets can help us. Exactly. We'd like to thank... Uh, or give a hat tip to Cadet Nikki for reminding us about this special five-legged goat at Disneyland.
1: Yeah, I always I, I always remembered seeing it there, and I knew we were going to feature it at some point. But I, I just recently learned that tidbit about the um, the stunt show that was going to yeah, be there. Yeah, the stunt show. So it was a and nice since, dual little goat there.
0: Yeah, and since we weren't able to use the robes from the Grand Californian as a five-legged goat. No. Because they yeah. haven't memorialized those robes yet. Not yet, but they will. One they day. Will but they will but once again thank you Nikki so much because she gives us a nickel each time we say her name on the show Nikki Um, which is another way of engaging with us (laughs) (laughs) giving us money no just nickels we don't want to be too greedy
1: but I want time
0: bucks you (laughs) want bucks (laughs) so you're you're basically telling people to create a fake currency no no I already created it. it's fine oh okay okay we'll just have to figure out what the exchange rate is yes okay it's not much
1: guys (laughs) sorry (laughs)
0: And on that note, I think we shall end the show. So thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please be sure to leave us a comment and give us a rating on the good old iTunes. Yep, give us nine Heimbucks. Nine Heimbucks. We're going to take over iTunes and change the rating system to Heimbucks.
1: Flush with Heimbucks.
0: And email us at (laughs) Communicore... (laughs) at Communicore Weekly at gmail.com with your stories of engagement or, oh, that didn't work out no, well. No, no, it didn't. No. Feel free
1: to completely ignore everything I say like George does by liking us on Facebook at
0: <laughs> facebook.com slash Weekly. Yes, yes, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagine Erding, and he's at Jeff Heimbach. And of course,
1: give us a call on the Communicore Weekly goat line at 424 785
0: four six two eight and you can pick up your copy of Communicore weekly the musical visit amazon cd baby itunes listen for free on spotify trust us you will love it
1: heck yes and of course buy your communicor weekly swag at the communicor weekly uh, web store go to come commu- go to that you know go there mm-hmm. you guys know exactly communicorweekly.com click, click on the this. store link or you can search for us on tpublic.com by just searching for CommuniCore Weekly. Ah, very nice. Very nice. So for Jeff Heimbach, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbach. He's still on the show, guys. Don't worry. We made it through the episode. He's still on it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.